Hello and welcome to the Potshot episode 22. I know this is a different voice from your normal host, but I decided to take over hosting duties this week and I am joined by the former host. I don't know how you do this. I say, oh, I'm, I'm Alex Collings and... I'm Alex Towles. There we are. There we, we got go. There, in the end. there we go. We've... <laughs> I, I was like, are you not going to introduce yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. We basically have two games to review since last time we had a pod. We could really get into the weeds of it tactically, but we kind of decided we haven't actually done a pod where we just take a moment, you know, to sit back and actually look at the season as a whole in a while. So we will get more into the weeds of maybe these two games for our next pod. We've got a guest lined up that I'm quite excited for. Uh, but for this pod, I think we're going to speak about both games, but also overall this recent run of the last seven or so games, and then also looking ahead to our return to the Europa League. But, uh, yeah, have I got everything there, Tiles? I think so. I, I think the main oh. point of this podcast, the main purpose of it, is so that everyone can acknowledge that we are the protagonists of reality. The world <laughs> revolves around us, and the season's narrative has been written by the football gods in order to make yeah. us specifically happy. <laughs> and we are speaking right after a 7-0 loss <laughs> from Manchester United. United. Yeah. If, if you're wondering um, what our thoughts on the United football game are, there <laughs> 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 you are. It was pretty great. All right, then. Let's get into it. After what I would say is maybe the best singular moment I've had as an Arsenal fan beyond I would say maybe winning that FA Cup in 2013-14 which was just huge for me but in terms of like a singular game a league game I would probably say this is the best moment I've had as an Arsenal fan in 10 years I'm talking of course about Nelson's last second or if you want to go by a lot of complaints minus one minute goal right at the death how how do you feel about it how are you feeling about everything we, d we haven't done much uh, talking about, like, our personal lives on this pod. We kind of thought we might do it at the start, and then I, we quickly bend it in favour of just talking about football tactics. People aren't interested about us. No, in us. Uh, but I, 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 my reaction to this must be contextualised by what I was doing at the time that we were playing, because I wasn't watching. Uh, I am... No, I, I am normally a good little boy who does not stream during the blackout, but regardless, I wouldn't have been able to today because I was at a swimming competition. Outside of talking about football, I am a swimming coach, and the club that I coach with was at a competition on Saturday while we were playing, and I was like checking my phone during the during the meet, during the gala, and like we went down, and it was like, oh, damn, and then like it was two all, and I was like, oh, damn. Uh, and then I came out of the gala to find out that we'd managed to pull it back with a 97th minute goal. And we also won that swimming gala. Uh, the, the, the story of the swimming gala was somewhat different to the story of the football match. Not going to lie, the swimming gala was a procession. Like, we absolutely smacked them, which was very nice given that we'd come second quite close, by quite a close margin in our most recent galas. So to win this one and to absolutely spank the other teams was very, very enjoyable and therapeutic. And to go walk out of that, the walk out of that high to get the immediate next high of a Arsenal 97th minute winner 
oh man, I was flying all day, even though I hadn't seen the goal. The, my, the entire bus journey home, I was just on my phone watching everyone's reactions, letting the emotion of everyone else watch over me. It was genuinely glorious. Dude, I was bouncing off the walls for hours. I, I, I went to bed giddy last night. Like, when we scored, I was screaming for a minute straight. I lost my voice. I'm actually surprised that I have it this morning because I could not speak properly <laughs> for a good while after that. I think the neighbors were worried. I was just so happy. I was still screaming and shouting way after the final whistle had, you know, happened. Oh, it man. felt... I think... Well, it it might have been our friend Mark. I think it was Mark who said this. Our friend Mark said, like... My brother came downstairs thinking I'd broken yes. my arm. I was <laughs> shouted so loud. <laughs> it was very relatable. I was pretty much in the same boat. Um, anyways, let's get into it. What were your impressions of the game overall? Because, of course, you watched it back quite closely. I, I think the biggest thing we can learn from the two games we played this week, so not just the Bournemouth match, but the Everton match, is that we do still struggle a little bit against low block teams. Like it's not easy for us to break down a low block by any means, but they need to play perfectly for 90 minutes to get a result out of us. We saw a team do that to us when we went away to Everton. They played a pretty perfect low block game for 90 minutes and we lost. But then in midweek, um, Everton played a pretty good low block. Well, not even a pretty good low block game for 40 minutes. I think Everton were pretty mid in the first half, but like they held out for 40 minutes and then we came back. And on Saturday, Bournemouth played a pretty, pretty good per low block game for about an hour before we battered the door down. I'm interested though, like, do, do, why do you think it was a good low block? Because we did have, of course, tons of territory. You see that in low block, mm. but we also had about 70 plus touches in their box. I felt like we were battering them just without the goal to add to it. What, what do you, what makes you think that it was a really good low block performance beside that? Just them being able to cut out that last ball consistently? Yeah. I think maybe low block, good low block performance is the wrong word, wrong phrase. They were really great at box defending. So once we got into the box, it was really hard to make further inroads than just getting inside the box. I, I'd be really interested to see like a touch map of all our touches in the Bournemouth area, because I imagine a lot of our touches that technically were in the Bournemouth area were like within two or three meters of the edge of the box where we got in and then couldn't make any further inroads. So either had a shot or lost the ball. Like, it felt like we did well to get through Bournemouth's low block, but then Bournemouth like just collapsed back into the box. So many players packing the box so quickly, and then we couldn't get through that for about an hour. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, I obviously didn't have time to watch back the games closely, but I was interested also, what I definitely did notice the first time watching is versus Bournemouth is how weak we were in transitions. And I'm interested if you have a specific take on that in terms of, of course, for that game, we started off with Fabio Vieira as our left sentiment rather than Xhaka, right? And I'm just interested because, of course, Xhaka has his problems. And we've spoken about this, you know, especially recently when we were talking about our limitations in terms of in possession. And we'll get on to Fabio a bit later um, in terms of what he was doing on the ball. And I I did like what he was what he was offering. But... I want to know 
with you rewatching, how much did you notice maybe that we struggled in that counter press, just being that really immediate reaction to to losing the ball, winning the second balls, whatever, in their half. They seem to have a lot of very dangerous transition moments against us. Let's start. I want to talk about Partey afterwards, but let's start with, do you think Fabio Vieira was maybe an issue there? The honest answer is I don't know, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I'm... Uh, I'm not as good at watching the defensive and transitional side of the game as you are. I'm not as experienced in that. To be honest, when they transitioned, I didn't really feel like there was much threat, but that's probably partly because I'm watching it back and I know when they score, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so maybe the transition opportunities felt more dangerous at the time, but it all, like, there was times when they got like towards our box or like got a shot away or got like into the channels, but never felt like we were particularly in danger from those transitions, to me at least. I do disagree there. I think that's some very frightening transitions against us. I think one of the one of the things was um, Solanke. I think had a really good game. I see some people kind of compare him as like a more budget Tony, and I do kind of see it. Um, maybe just in terms of matching up against Saliba again, struggled against a physical striker again. I think he had actually a pretty good game beside that. Really, really good game in cutting out and anticipating balls down through the channels. Not so good again when he's, when he's facing up against a physical threat. I think that was one aspect of it, but I do think they managed to, a lot of the time teams manage to, when they try to attack us in transition, it's through the wide areas and then you come inwards. This time I think they managed to get it through the middle a lot more often than we needed, which is why without having that extra insight of having watched it back properly, I do think it kind of makes sense. Who is who is there? This is not something we've seen at all this season. I think we're very good in protecting those transitions early. Um, but who is there rather than who's normally there? It was Fabio rather than Xhaka, right? I also think personally, I know you have some stuff that you want to say about this, but I, I wasn't impressed with Partey this game. I'll give him his credit, like, he is, and I've said, we've said many times before, he's, he's crucial to how good we are in handling defensive transitions, but today I think he struggled in certain situations. I know the general opinion of, of him is that he had a very, very good game, obviously also scored, and I think midfielders seem to get that extra gas when they, when they score, right? Um, but I don't think he handled, he handled the transitions particularly well, which is unlike him. Uh, you said that you were quite impressed with him or thought he was decent today? Um, Not today, yesterday? No. <laughs> I, I said I didn't think he was bad, as bad as you thought he was. As I thought he was. <laughs> I, 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 I thought he was fine. Um, again, this Fair comes enough. back to I wasn't particularly watching out for transition moments when I was watching. Like I, So when I'm watching back, um, because I'm not that good at like spotting good or bad transition moments, I tend to have to like really focus on it and think about it if I want to be able to say, like have many opinions on them. Uh, and I wasn't. In a similar way, I don't have that many opinions on Partey in, his, in transition defense because of the same reason. The one time I was paying attention to Partey defending in transition, he did a pretty good job of it. There was one time in the first half where they got a ball out, again, it went wide and Partey came across using his athleticism to close down and win the ball back. And that's just something that doesn't happen when Jorginho's there. Like, if Jorginho's yeah. there, we don't win the ball back there. They get an attack on. They, well, a much better attack on. They actually might get a shot or something. Um, 
What I did notice about Partey was um, how he, having him there instead of Jorginho affects our in-possession play. Like, watching Partey on the ball, it's kind of like he views the pitch like as like having a U of options. Like, from the wingers, back to the wing-backs, and then the centre-backs. These are the people he will pass to. He will not pass to the two midfielders in front of him. He will not pass to the striker in front of him. It was wild. Like, genuinely, every pass he made was either sideways or to Martinelli and Saka. I don't think I saw him make, like, a line-breaking pass once. And this is the thing, right? It's because he'll always pass to the option that's made open for him. Unless he's trying to force one a little bit with a, you know, a longer ball trying to get him behind, he'll always kind of pass to the open ones. I think it's something that has just become so much more clear since we've had Jorginho in the side, who obviously Jorginho is fantastic in possession, right? But it does make it so frustrating just to see, again, we're going back to the limits of the system, but how much he limits us there. I see some people saying that he is really good in possession. I just feel like the things that he gets credited for are like obvious things, like passing into the path of the player who's running onto the ball. That's kind of obvious, like you expect that sort of thing. What really bothers me is how long he takes to make these decisions. The fact that he's never really trying to like probe against the block, you know what I mean? Trying to find those inside lines. I found that quite frustrating that I understand how vulnerable we were in transitions and I understand the logic of keeping Partey on specifically for that reason. But I felt like when we got into the last, and of course this was a fantastic 3-2 win, it's really hard when it, there's so much emotion attached to it to to feel critical. But I did, in the moment, I was very upset that Arteta wasn't bringing Jorginho on because I just felt that Bournemouth block was really struggling near the end. They were getting pulled all over the place. I really felt bringing Jorginho on would have a, added a bit more calm to our play in their half because um, it was getting a little bit frantic, not necessarily in a bad way, but I think just having that extra presence there would have been good. Um, but also just being able to select where the, you know, the seams were breaking of that, of that Bournemouth block. And so I was a bit upset with that substitution or lack of substitution rather. I thought it would have been the right call. Um, what do you think about that in terms of balancing? Of course, we need, we need these wins, right? We're, we're in a title race. This isn't, it's not top four anymore. It's not like you don't settle for these wins, especially with how, inevitable city I kind of felt like you need to make these brave decisions but what do you think about that balance versus having that mobility to defend in transition of course I didn't think Partey was defending particularly well that day which factored in I, I think having Jorginho in the last few minutes would have given us an extra level of penetration through the center yeah. that would have been very helpful that being said I don't like. I don't think we sort of score our second goal if Jorginho is not on, if Partey is not on the pitch. If Jorginho is on instead, because what? Why? Because um, what happens is Partey like carries the ball forward, somehow doesn't lose it, running in, running directly into the middle of Bournemouth's block, therefore taking out like three or four players, gets the ball out to Reese Nelson, who's in space in the half space, who can then get the ball across to Ben White who's in space because one of the three centre-backs was dragged forward by Partey's run where he didn't lose the ball. Firstly, I think we need to acknowledge that Partey was lucky not to lose the ball, but I don't think Jorginho even would make that run, like, to try and carry the ball through the block like that. That's probably maybe the point I'd make is that 
that's an individual situation that obviously comes from different play styles, different plays in those positions. But maybe that specific situation wouldn't be manufactured, but Jorginho would have manufactured other ones. That's sort of the, you know, yeah. the judgment that you, you weigh up. Um, I, I think having Jorginho on the pitch definitely for the last 15 minutes would have been helpful from uh, trying to get into the box perspective. Like, we had chances, but, like, we never... We didn't make, like, a cutback for Erdogan or for Xhaka, for example, like we did in the Everton game for the third goal there. Like, having Jorginho in the pitch, I think, would have helped us out in that perspective. I think he would have been able to make some make some plays and do some football that might have <laughs> gotten us there. All right, perfect. I think I want to speak a bit about the different players that played and were subbed on and were subbed off. So let's start with Trossard. I think he was quite a big loss. He is quite a big loss in terms of what he's offered the system recently. And I think we saw it against Everton as well. Just merely by playing in these in these, in these positions, right, we're seeing the system look a lot more fluid. Martinelli is looking a lot more dangerous again. Um, it's kind of what we were expecting to happen once we got Gabby J back. And now we have Trossard playing there. He went off with quite a bad injury. How big of an issue do you think that will be, losing Trossard? It depends how long Gabby Jesus is out for still. Because I, I remember we spoke this time last week, that was a rumour that he'd be able to make the bench for Bournemouth. I don't think he did. Do you know what he did do, though? Hmm? He was involved in basically what they do after the matches. A lot of unused subs and stuff come on and they do small drills and warm down routines themselves. And apparently Gabby J, although not on the bench, he was involved in that. And okay. According to whichever report it was, I think it was Charles Watts, said that it looked pretty pretty intense in terms of intensity. Yeah. <laughs> but he was also involved for the first time in contact training just a couple of days before Bournemouth, so he wasn't expected to make that. But that's quite encouraging then. Yeah. I, I think if it's going to be like a week or two before Gabby Jesus is back, then touch wood, we're fine. Because I think the biggest problem isn't necessarily that Trossard specifically is out. It's that we now have, like, four fit attackers, and one of them isn't really fit. It's Smith Rowe. Yes. Which actually takes me to the next one. I think we've said what we needed to say about Trossard. What do you think of Smith Rowe coming on? How do you think he was? He obviously got an assist um, for our first goal for Partey. I'm going to be honest, man. I have no thoughts on <laughs> Smith Rowe. I completely neglected to pay attention to Smith Rowe's performance. Like, he came on, and I noticed that he came on, came on, and then all of a sudden I realised he was coming off, and I was like, oh, wow, that happened. See, this is this is why you're not a proper hail ender. I yeah. watched him very closely, because I was waiting for him to do some stuff. I think he looked neat, he looked tidy. Um, he didn't really have that, like, extra burst or general thing that, you know, that general oomph that he adds to play at times. He had one or two nice moments. Obviously, the assist itself was, you know, good that he's got it. he's got his first contribution for the season. Don't think there was too much to add there. Um, beyond that, yeah, I don't think he looks likely to start versus Sporting. We'll get to that later. Um, just given the fact that he also came off, he was on after what twenty minutes, and then he came off for the last twenty minutes. Yeah. So I think he's he's likely to be someone to come off the bench. Let's go to the last person who actually replaced him, though. What did you think of Reese Nelson today? That, that was very fun, having Reese Nelson on the pitch again. Like It, it feels like 
it, it's there's probably like a tired legs tax to include here, but it feels like there's a little bit of a spark or something every time Reese Nelson's on the pitch. Um, he like he's got he he's just got that something. You give him the ball, and he's gonna do something interesting with it. Um, which is always fun. I I do want to say with Smith Rowe, it seems like they had a plan to play him for half an hour, and then yeah, obviously Trossard sure. got injured, so they had to bring him on really early. But they still only wanted to play him play him for half an hour, which is why he came off for Nelson. I would assume. For sure. I don't I don't think you've done Nelson enough justice. So I'm gonna go back. Go, to go him. ahead. I think he was. I think he was pretty fantastic when he came on. Even if you forget the fact that he assisted the equaliser and scored the winner in the dying breaths of the game before doing the most casual, you know, not appropriate to the situation um, <laughs> celebration I've ever seen. Um, but I think he was he was really good the whole time. Like you were saying, he was looking... Every time he was on the ball, it looked like something was going to happen. I think he's really good at keeping the ball, which obviously does suit our players in wide spaces. But... As well as that, like, being able to hold wide, he has that extra trussard, like, tr- close control and a, maybe a bit more of a creative passer from wide areas. I think he really did add a lot. And, yeah, I'm, I'm just genuinely very happy for the player as someone who, you know, kind of really started following Hell End and, like, you know, the youth sides when it was him and Eddie and Willock and all of those guys. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of, like, personal satisfaction seeing him kind of delivering on that potential that he really did have. People forget he was kind of seen as like the the best since Walshire. And then he didn't really live up to it. But I think he's had quite a journey in terms of... Arteta was even speaking recently about like the maturity that he's gone through. And, you know, going to Feyenoord has really matured him as a player. And I think he's a good example through that is just looking at now what he's 23 years old. At the journey and the psychological journey as well that it really takes for a player to, to realise their... Or start realising their potential. Obviously... It's still, you know, it's still too soon to say, like, he's now delivering on the potential he did show. But but you can see it's there, where I wouldn't really say it was when he first broke through. He did look a bit more timid. And then, according to reports within the club, when after Arteta first came on, and you'll remember that Arteta was actually very in favour of, of Reese when he first joined, before quickly kind of relegating him to the bench and then to the reserves, well, to the rest of the squad, and then out on loan, or oh, trying to force him out on loan. I think, yeah, it's just, it's nice to see him delivering on all of that. Okay, let's move on. Maybe to slightly more of a worrying statistic that's coming through. But now, of our last seven games, we've conceded first in five of them, which I think contrasts greatly to our first half of the season. What do you think of that is? Do you think it's worrying? Do you think it's something that we need to watch out for a little bit? So it's one of those things where, like, in, in the moment, you don't think about it, because it, it doesn't feel like that right now, right? Like, it feels like we had a rough patch, and now we're coming yeah. out of it. And that may well be true. It may well be the next game will win, like, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up wins to nil and start imposing ourselves at the start of games again. But... Yeah, when you think about the fact that our like worrying stretch wasn't very long ago, then it makes a lot of sense that we conceded first in five of our last seven. And yeah, like if that trend continues, it is worrying. But I think it might just be the fact that we're still like getting over that bad stretch, and hopefully, when we're back to 
full force and full power, then it'll go away by itself almost. I hope so. I guess it's something to get into in future pods, maybe when we look at this a bit more closely than the let's take a step back pod we've gone for here. But it does worry me. Um, obviously, we've come back on a lot of them. Um, but at the same time, kind of, there's another worry to it. There's two ways of looking at all of these late comebacks that we've had recently. We've had, you know, against United in the 90th minutes, or was it 93rd minute against um, Villa? And then we scored again after that. And then now 97th minutes versus Bournemouth. I think as much as these games can be hugely motivating to the squad, they can also drain the emotions a lot just because the amount of emotion that actually goes into all of these wins and the that extra sort of energy, stress, adrenaline. And I wonder if that if we could see a dip because if we could see a dip because of that. I mean it's it's not that close to the end of the season yet and it could get quite draining especially as each win is going to feel more and more pivotal as we get to the end of the season. Yeah, but if you look at it from the other side of the coin, you could also see it as with each win, we pick up a little bit more momentum that we can carry with us through the end of the season. So, like, while I don't disagree, but, like, these... Like, it's pro- it can add a little bit of extra emotional weight to each game, make it make each game more tiring to finish off if you're having to come back. That extra, like, that hangover. If you're having to come back from behind every single time, it's going to add to their tiredness after each game. But also, like, on the same... At the same time, it's going to add to the momentum. And as we said at the top, it very much feels like we are the protagonists of this season with the way that we can win (laughs) these games. And I cannot see a world in which that's a bad thing. I mean, I think that's true. Maybe I'm just worrying a bit too much. I definitely would prefer... We've had our fun now. Yeah, can, we, can we have some more moments. 1-0 just boring wins? Just 2-0 for the rest of this season. Yeah, yeah. Two, no, 2-0. Two two we need not two. even that stress, you know what I mean? We need Holding coming on 80 minutes, doing his little 5-3-2 sign, and then seeing yeah. out the game, 2-0 every... But yeah, that is, it is something that worries me, though. Um, but at the same time, I think the squad has proven to be super mentally tough. And I think that is an important an important part of what makes the squad so good, right? I don't think it's something to necessarily overlook as much as it's all in, like, in quotation marks, intangibles. Speaking of winning 2-0, we won 2-0, 4-0 against Everton in the week. I mean, we kind of glossed over it with all of this Bournemouth chat that we've been doing. So let's quickly go back to the Everton game. It was pretty cathartic win, I, I think is the right word. After we lost at Goodison Park last time, uh, what did what did you make of our performance against Everton? Yeah, I think we were good. Um, I think the first half I watched it back. We weren't great, but we were also in control, um, so I wasn't too worried about that. I think that first goal. We don't normally talk about the individual goals, but I, that from Zinchenko and especially from Saka, was just absolutely unbelievable. Mm. Maybe our best goal of the season, I'd even say, just in terms of how he took it, rolled with it, shot with his weaker right foot, but knew that he had to go with power into the top right corner. It was giving, it was like an Aguero finish. Mm. It was just beautiful. I don't know if I'd call it our best goal of the season, but I do really, really like the goal. Um, I I think... (laughs) I'm glad. I I, I said this to you um, of WhatsApp, but I think it 
really exemplifies something that we were talking about over the last couple podcasts, which is like the winger rotations. Obviously, mm. we normally have our front five players that we like to attack with when we've like when we're in settled possession. Normally, Saka is that wide right player with Erdogan just inside him in the right half space. What we saw in the build up to that goal is actually Martinelli for some reason has ended up all the way over on the right wing. I haven't, I can't remember why he's all the way over on the right wing, but he is. Um, and that allows Saka to be the player inside and Mar- and Erdogan to be slightly, Erdogan's then inside again. Erdogan's the actual middle player of the five at the point that we scored the goal. Um, what this means is that Saka is able to get into one of the most dangerous places in football, which is in between the fullback and the centre-back in the little bit of space that they leave in their block. The seam. Just, he, he, you can see it just before he receives the ball. He kind of moves off of Mikolenko, the left-back, and then asks for the ball in that space, turns and bang. Like, being able to find players in that space is what we were missing in the first game against Everton. And finding Saka there and it being so obvious that him he was showing up there in that half space was very, very cool. A hundred percent. I think just even more generally, that is just one example of how we are changing things up and we've been speaking about it. You know, the wing is coming a bit more narrow, moving more over the place. I think Martinelli being out on the right was not something necessarily planned. It was probably from something yeah. else. I'd need to look it back. But but in general, those movements, with what we've been seeing from Saka a lot recently is runs across the box, mm. which, as we have not been seeing, maybe Martinelli was a bit of that. Um, and in general, also, Odegaard, sort of his movements to kind of leave the block and then come back in using, you know, dynamic movements to kind of open up those lanes to receive have all been, yeah, been big parts of how we've maybe adapted since that Everton performance. And we did figure them out i mean i think it's it's always good to speak about like premier league analysts are going to be the best analysts in the world they will figure out how to how to beat these teams you know what i mean i think this is something maybe teams are seeing with newcastle now is newcastle were beating a lot of teams first half of the season with a with a good system but not a particularly advanced in possession one and teams are you know analysts go back especially the the top six teams, they figure out, okay, this is what we need to do against them. And then in the second game, Newcastle are being found out a little bit more than they were. I'd hope that that's going to be the case for us when we play them. I hope it would. I think Everton's a good example of that. We did approach the game in a very different way. We used our six differently, a little bit more aggressively. Um, Zinchenko had the same sort of treatment on him where they didn't close him down at all. They just kind of blocked the lens for passing, but now he had a little bit more support from his his six to access the eights in front. And yeah, I think it's it's good. I mean, as much as I was critical of Arteta, I think it was last part about not making changes in-game. You can see from game to game that he does adapt and he knows how to fix these problems. Yeah, I, I think tangent, I don't think I, don't know if I agree with you about Newcastle specifically, like against Man City okay. at the weekend. They had the chances necessary to win the game. They just missed all of them, right? They're still generating a lot of chances. Uh, perhaps, like, on the attacking side, you're right, but, like, on the stopping Newcastle from attacking well side, like, Newcastle is still doing a pretty good job. But we're not a yeah, Newcastle sorry, I think 
I think I was also con- maybe not being clear. I meant more in terms of breaking how to break down Newcastle yeah. teams, figure it out more. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's move ahead to actually looking at Thursday, the return of the Europa League. I've been looking forward to this, especially seeing how much we're going to rotate the side, how we're going to approach this part of the, the run to towards, you know, winning the Europa League potentially. Obviously, our main focus is in the on the Premier League. This is our first chance of winning the title in 19 years. It's always going to be the priority in any case. But the Europa League is still a big competition. We've never won a European Cup. And I also think Arteta is not someone who really ever doesn't try to win. As much as people like to say, ah, oh, let's just throw this match in the Carabao Cup or whatever because we have so many games. I don't think that's the way that Arteta approaches things. I don't think that the, that's the way elite players approach anything, really. Mm. So let me just get straight to it. What do you think our starting eleven should be slash will be, depending on how you want to go with it? So I was actually on a Twitter space yesterday evening discussing this very same thing. Uh, shout out to Matt J Sport, Sport on Twitter for hosting it. And shout out to friend of the pods, Abdul, at Flaminiesta on Twitter, for being the person who was on that space that made me see it and made me go and jump on it. Uh, and we talked about how, who we'd start in the Lisbon game. And I think from memory, what I said was Turner in goal, um, a back four of Tierney, Kivior, Saliba, and Tomiyasu or White, I'm really not sure on Tomiyasu or White, then I said Jorginho, Xhaka, Erdogan midfield, Matt and Abdul for um, Fabi V, Fabio Vieira was more likely to start or perhaps should start. I think Erdogan's more likely to start than a front three of Saka, Martinelli and Reese Nelson. Who, who, who do you think should start? I think I have largely the same team. Um, I also, uh, for towards having Fabio Vieira starts, um, and Eddie, if he's available or fit, it doesn't sound like he had a hard knock, but obviously he wasn't in the, in the, on the bench at all. Um, so that would be my team. Um, I can't exactly remember who you said at the back, but I am very excited for potentially Cuvio's debut. As great as Gabriel's been, and he was great again against Bournemouth. I'm really excited to see someone else in that role. I think it still remains the only role we've not actually seen another player really fill and what they can add to it. Um, Kivio does look a little bit more comfortable on the ball in terms of the passes he can access. And also just a little bit more languid, not languid, a little bit more fluid in terms of being able to carry, whereas Gabi can be a little bit stiff, which we've spoken about before as well. Um, so that's maybe the thing I'm most excited to, to see. I think Xhaka will definitely start. I think Jorginho will definitely start. Um, I see rather than Arteta erring towards Odegaard, I think he'll trust Fabio. Um, maybe even gave Fabio the start to kind of warm him into having a game against, because obviously Sporting's a big team. But I think we might see Holding stay on the bench and someone like Saliba start alongside QB. Yeah, that's what would be I, my guess. That's what we thought. Oh, did well. you say that? Yes, I did. Uh that's my apologies too. The thing is, I'm not even sure if starting Saliba alongside Kibio is the right call. It makes me naturally like a little bit nervous having 
such a fresh centre-back partnership, if you will, because obviously Kivior is the new kid on the block in terms of being an Arsenal centre-back. And six months ago, Saliba was in exactly the same position. So it feels like you kind of want someone who's like... It, it, it feels like a stereotype, uh, like a cliche, but like a little bit more of an experienced head in there. So maybe even Rogue Shout starting Ben White actually at centre-back alongside Kivior? Maybe. Maybe. I, c- I could see that. I definitely would not see Gabriel and Kivior starting no, together. No, of course not, because they're, they're both yeah, yeah. footed. And I think Holding is just... He's quite a mm. bit... While he's the one of the oldest of our centre-backs, he's also... He is. Like, he's, like, fifth choice good. for a reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's the list. He's the least good. I think he's someone we could see coming on if we're like two 0 up with six mm. with thirty minutes left, right? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I would think Saliba, but I can definitely see Ben White playing. I think Tommy Yossi will start at right back. I think Tierney will definitely start at left back. Um, and yeah, that'll be exciting to kind of see that connection between Tierney and Reese as well. Um, going forward, though, how do you feel about that in terms of? rotation say that we we draw this game would you go for a big team like a foot our first choice team in the return leg which would be at home um or would you still keep it quite rotated i think this is now the the sort of issue that ateta has to kind of grapple with as we're getting to this part of the season yeah so i think one of my biggest worries is that we kind of underestimate sporting lisbon sporting not because I think Arteta and the team actually in the club will underestimate Sporting, but I feel like us as fans have the potential to underestimate Sporting because I don't know about you, but I don't have a fucking clue how they've been doing this season. I have not been paying any attention to the Portuguese league. They could be amazing. <laughs> they could be dog shit. I have no idea. So like, that's one of my biggest worries with like listing out this side that's got quite a few first team names arrested is I have no idea how good sporting are and if we're underestimated them by resting this many guys. Let me reframe it then, right? Let's just assume that they're good. Mm-hmm. Would you rotate the side with us only five points ahead of City? Every game feels like a final, to be honest. As cliche as it, as it sounds, we go into every weekend feeling like if we lose this, it's going to be bad. Um... And obviously, we've got we've just seen what Anfield did to United with that seven 0 win. We have to go to Anfield in a couple of weeks. We have to go to the the Etihad in a couple of weeks, which is a six pointer again. Do you feel that we risk our first teamers suddenly playing, or well, not our first teamers, but our our first eleven players suddenly playing twice a week? Yeah, I think I'm not. The thing is, they've been playing twice a week for a little while, right? Um. So the second leg against Sporting um, comes before we play Crystal Palace. So we play Sporting on Thursday, then Fulham, then Sporting again the week after, then Crystal Palace at the weekend. So I feel like in the context of those being our Premier League games, I don't feel too bad about putting out a pretty strong side against Sporting. But at the same time, like like, I I want to rotate... You would have said that against... Bournemouth, you would have said that against yeah. Bournemouth, right? I, I feel like I don't want to rotate too much, but our hand is kind of being forced by injuries in a way. Um, I, in this first leg, I think like rotating quite a lot is fine, and we'll see how it goes. 
like if we come out of this losing then i want us to go for it if we come out of it drawing then i want us to go for it if i cut if we come out of it winning by two or three goals then i'm fine with us rotating a bit more because obviously we're going away this leg so like that obviously adds another dynamic to this so we'll see ask me again in a week and i might have a completely different answer <laughs> yeah i think ultimately it's going to be interesting because you were speaking about the momentum thing as well this definitely does play into the momentum maybe not as much as the premier league wins because teams you know players can compartmentalize it a little bit but yeah winning and building that feeling of winning and winning and winning is good anyways i think that is it for our pod um i'm not trained enough to as a host to do the whole outro thing so i'm gonna hand oh he's even gonna do the little yeah book and i'll take back thing. over Let's for the it. end because i've got my trivia book out <laughs> chapter seven forwards question two how many matches did it take thierry Henry to score his first goal for arsenal a two b four c five or d seven Seven. I'm glad. I'm glad that I had multiple choices there because I was debating between seven and eight. But yeah, it's seven. Uh, the answer is seven. You're correct. That's really annoying. I was hoping that one would catch you <laughs> out. Like, so, so Alex got the first one wrong. For those of you who haven't been listening for the last few weeks, which I don't think as many of you, um, Alex got the first one wrong. And I've been trying over the last couple of weeks increasingly to find a question that's going to catch you out. And you've foiled me again. <laughs> it's like Collings 7, Trivia Book 1, at this point. <laughs> so, so at least it's not 007. <laughs> I think let's call it a pod. Do your outro. Sure. Thank you very much for listening to this week's Pot Shot. You can find the pod on Twitter at Pot Shot Pod. You can find Collings on Twitter at AlexFRCO. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Terrell. Our music is made by the wonderful James Blake. You can find him on the Spotify's and things at JW Blake. We will be back next week to discuss the sporting game and the Fulham game. Thanks very much for listening again, and we'll see you there. Bye.